Exile, Part 5, Spirit Spirit It cannot be broken, and it cannot be stolen away. A victim in the throes of despair might feel otherwise, and certainly the victim's master would like you to believe it so. But in truth, the spirit remains, sometimes buried but never fully removed. That is the false assumption of Zincarla, and the danger of such sentient animation. The priestesses, I have come to learn, claim it as the highest gift of the Spider Queen deity who rules the drow. I think not. Better to call Zincarla Loth's greatest lie. The physical powers of the body cannot be separated from the rationale of the mind and the emotions of the heart. They are one and the same, a compilation of a singular being. It is in the harmony of these three, body, mind, and heart, that we find spirit. How many tyrants have tried? How many rulers have sought to reduce their subjects to simple, unthinking instruments of profit and gain? They steal the loves, the religions of their people. They seek to steal the spirit. Ultimately and inevitably, they fail. This I must believe. If the flame of the spirit's candle is extinguished... There is only death, and the tyrant finds no gain in a kingdom littered with corpses. But it is a resilient thing, this flame of spirit, indomitable and ever-striving. In some, at least, it will survive to the tyrant's demise. Where, then, was Zach Nefane, my father, when he set out purposefully to destroy me? Where was I in my years alone in the wilds, when this hunter that I had become blinded my heart and guided my sword-hand often against my conscious wishes. We both were there all along, I came to know, buried but never stolen. Spirit, in every language in all the realms, surface and underdark, in every time and every place, the word has a ring of strength and determination. It is the hero's strength, the mother's resilience, and the poor man's armor, it cannot be broken, and it cannot be taken away. This I must believe. Drizd Duarden Chapter 22 Without Direction The sword cut came too swiftly for the goblin slave to even cry out in terror. It toppled forward, quite dead before it even hit the floor. Zach Nefane stepped on its back and continued on. The path to the narrow cavern's rear exit lay open before the spirit wraith, barely ten yards away. Even as the undead warrior moved beyond his latest kill, a group of illithids came into the cavern in front of him. Zach Nefane snarled and did not turn away or slow in the least. His logic and his strides were direct. Drizzt had gone through this exit, and he would follow. Anything in his way would fall to his blade. Let this one go on its way, came a telepathic cry from several points in the cavern, from other mind flares who had witnessed Zach Nefane in action. You cannot defeat him. Let the drow leave. The mind flares had seen enough of the spear wraith's deadly blades. More than a dozen other comrades had died at Zach Nefane's hand already. This new group standing in Zach Nefane's way did not miss the urgency of the telepathic pleas. They parted to either side with all speed, except for one. The illithid race based its existence on pragmatism founded in vast volumes of communal knowledge. 
Mind flares considered base emotions such as pride fatal flaws. It proved to be true again on this occasion. Foop. The single illithid blasted the spirit wraith, determined that none should be allowed to escape. An instant later, the time of a single precise swipe of a sword, Zach Nefane stepped on the fallen illithid's chest and continued on his way into the wilds of the Underdark. No other illithids made a move to stop him. Zach Nefane crouched and carefully picked his path. Drizzt had traveled down this tunnel. The scent was fresh and clear. Even so, in his careful pursuit, where he would often have to pause and check the trail, Zach Nefane could not move as swiftly as his intended prey. But, unlike Zach Nefane, Drizzt had to rest. Hold! The tone of Belwar's command left no room for debate. Drizzt and Clacker froze in their tracks, wondering what had put the Burrow Warden on a sudden alert. Belwar moved over and put his ear to the rock wall. Boots, he whispered, pointing to the stone. Parallel tunnel. Drizzt joined his friend by the wall and listened intently, but though his senses were keener than almost any other dark elf, he was not nearly as adept at reading the vibrations of the stone as the deep gnome. How many? he asked. A few, replied Belwar, but his shrug told Driz that he was only making a hopeful approximation. Seven, said Clacker from a few paces down the hall, his voice clear and sure. Durgar, grey dwarves, fleeing from the Illithids as we are. How can you? Drizzt started to ask, but he stopped, remembering what Clacker had told him concerning the powers of the peck. Do the tunnels cross? Belwar asked the Hukar. Can we avoid the Durgar? Clacker turned back to the stone for the answers. The tunnels join a short way ahead, he replied. Then continue on as one. Then if we stay here, the Great Wars will probably pass us by, Belwar reasoned. Drizzt was not so certain of the Deep Gnome's reasoning. We and the Dorgar share a common enemy, Drizzt remarked. Then his eyes widened as a thought came to him suddenly. Allies? Though often the Dorgar and Drow travel together, Great Wars do not usually ally with Sferfnebli, Belwar reminded him. Or hook horrors, I would guess. This situation is far from usual. Drizzt was quick to retort. If the Durgar are in flight from the Mind Flares, then they are probably ill-equipped and unarmed. They might welcome such an alliance to the gain of both groups. I do not believe they will be as friendly as you assume, Bella replied with a sarcastic snicker. But concede I will that this narrow tunnel is not a defensible region, more suited to the size of a Durgar than to the long blades of a Drow and the longer steel arms of a Hukarar. If the Durgar double back at the crossroad and head toward us, we may have to do a battle in an area that will favor them. Then to the place where the tunnels join, said Drizzt, and let us learn what we may. The three companions soon came to a small, oval-shaped chamber. Another tunnel, the one in which the Dorgar were traveling, entered the area right beside the companion's tunnel, and a third passage ran out from the back of the room. The friends moved across into the shadows of this farthest tunnel, even as the shuffling of boots echoed in their ears. A moment later, 
the seven Durgar came into the oval chamber. They were haggard, as Drizzt had suspected, but they were not unarmed. Three had clubs, another a dagger, two held swords, and the last one sported two large rocks. Drizzt held his friends back and stepped out to meet the strangers. Though neither race held much love for the other, Drow and Durgar often formed mutual gainful alliances. Driz guessed that the chances of forming a peaceful alliance would be greater if he went out alone. His sudden appearance startled the weary grey dwarfs. They rushed all about frantically, trying to form some defensive posture. Swords and clubs came up to the ready, and the dwarf holding the rocks cocked his arm back to throw. "'Greetings, Durgar,' Drizzt said, hoping that the grey dwarves would understand the drow tongue. His hand rested easily on the hilts of his sheathed scimitars. He knew he could get to them quickly enough if he needed them. "'Who might you be?' one of the sword-wielding grey dwarves asked in a shaky but understandable drow. "'A refugee, as yourselves,' replied Drizzt, fleeing from the slavery of the cruel mind-flares. "'Then you know we're in a hurry,' snarled the Dorgar. "'So be standing out of our way!' "'I offer to you an alliance,' said Drizzt. "'Surely greater numbers will only aid us when the Illithids come.' Seven's as good as eight. The Dorgar stubbornly replied. Behind the speaker, the rock-thrower pumped his arm threateningly. "'But not as good as ten. Drizzt reasoned calmly. "'You got friends?' asked the Dorgar, his tone noticeably softening. He glanced about nervously, looking for the possible ambush. "'More drow?' "'Hardly,' Drizzt answered. "'I seen him!' cried another of the group also in the drow tongue, before Driz could begin to explain. He runned out with the beaked monster and a sferfneblin. Deep gnome, the leader of the Dorgar spat at Drizzt's feet. Not a friend of the Dorgar or the drow. Drizzt would have been willing to let the failed offer go at that, with he and his friends moving on their way, with the grey dwarves going on their own. But the well-earned reputation of the Dorgar labeled them as neither peaceful nor overly intelligent. With the Illithids not far behind, this band of grey dwarves hardly needed more enemies. A rock sailed at Drizzt's head. A scimitar flashed out and deflected it harmlessly aside. "'Bivrip!' came the Burrow Warden's cry from the tunnel. Belwar and Clacker rushed out, not surprised in the least by the sudden turn of events. In the Drow Academy, Drizzt, like all Dark Elves, had spent months learning the ways and tricks of the Grey Dwarves. That training saved him now, for he was the first to strike, lining all seven of his diminutive opponents in the harmless purple flames of fairy fire. Almost at the same time, three of the Dorgar faded from view, exercising their innate talents of invisibility. The purple flames remained, though, clearly outlining the disappearing dwarves. A second rock flew through the air, slamming into Clacker's chest. The armored monster would have smiled at the pitiful attack if his beak could smile, and Clacker continued his charge straight ahead into the Dorgar's midst. The rock-thrower and the dagger-wielder fled out of the hook-horror's way, having no weapons that could possibly hurt the armored giant. With other foes readily available, Clacker let them go. They came around the side of the chamber, bearing straight in at Belwar, thinking the Shurf Neblin the easiest of the targets. The swipe of the pickaxe abruptly stopped their charge. The unarmed Dorgar lunged forward, trying to grab the arm before it could launch a backswing. 
Belwar anticipated the attempt and crossed over with his hammer hand, slamming the Dorgar squarely in the face. Sparks flew, bones crumbled, and gray skin burned and splattered. The Dorgar flew to his back and writhed about frantically clutching his broken face. The dagger-wielder was not so anxious any more. Two invisible Dorgar came at Drizzt. With the outline of the purple flames, Driz could see their general movement, and he had prudently marked these two as the sword-wielders. But Driz was at a clear disadvantage, for he could not distinguish subtle thrusts and cuts. He backed away, putting distance between himself and his companions. He sensed an attack and threw out a blocking scimitar, smiling at his luck when he heard the ring of weapons. The Grey Dwarf came into view for just a moment, to show Driz his wicked smile, then faded quick away. "'How many does you think you can block?' the other invisible Dorgar asked smugly. "'More than you, I suspect,' Drizzt replied, and then it was the drow's turn to smile. His enchanted globe of absolute darkness descended over all three of the combatants, stealing the Dorgar's advantage. In the wild rush of the battle, Clacker's savage hook-horror instincts took full control of his actions.' The giant did not understand the significance of the empty purple flames that marked the third invisible Dorgar, and he charged instead at the two remaining grey dwarves holding clubs. Before the hookar even got there, a club smashed into his knee, and the invisible Dorgar chuckled in glee. The other two began to fade from sight, but Clacker now paid them no heed. The invisible club struck again, this time smashing into the hookar's thigh. Possessed by the instincts of a race that had never been concerned with finesse, the hook horror howled and fell forward, burying the purple flames under his massive chest. Clacker hopped and dropped several times until he was satisfied that the unseen enemy was crushed to death. But then, a flurry of clubbing blows rained down upon the back of the hook horror's head. The dagger-wielding Dwargar was no novice to battle. His attacks came in measured thrusts, forcing Belwar, wielding heavier weapons, to take the initiative. Deep Gnomes hated Dorgar as profoundly as Dorgar hated Deep Gnomes, but Belwar was no fool. His pickaxe waved about only to keep his opponent at bay, while his hammerhand remained cocked and ready. Thus, the two sparred without gain for several moments, both content to let the other make the first error. When the hookhar cried out in pain, and with Drizzt out of sight, Belwar was forced to act. He stumbled forward, feigning a trip, and lurched ahead with his hammer hand and his pickaxe dipped low. The Dorgar recognized the ploy, but could not ignore the obvious opening in the Srifneblin's defense. The dagger came in over the pickaxe, diving straight at Belwar's throat. The Burrow Warden threw himself backward with equal speed and lifted a leg as he went, his boot clipping the Dorgar's chin. The Grey Dwarf kept coming, though, diving down atop the falling Deep Gnome, his dagger pointing leading the way. Belwar got his pickaxe up only a split second before the jagged weapon found his throat. The Burrow Warden managed to move the Dorgar's arm out wide, but the Grey Dwarf's considerable weight pressed them together, their faces barely an inch apart. "'Got ya now!' the Dorgar cried. "'Get this!' Belwar snarled back, and he freed up his hammerhand enough to launch a short but heavy punch into the Dorgar's ribs. The Dorgar slammed his forehead into Belwar's face, and Belwar bit him on the nose in response. The two rolled about, spitting and snarling, and using whatever weapons they could find. By the sound of the ringing blades, any observers outside of Driz's globe of darkness would have sworn that a dozen warriors battled within. The frenzied tempo of swordplay was solely the doing of Driz Duarden. 
In such a situation, fighting blindly, the drow reasoned that the best battle method would be to keep all the blades as far away from his body as possible. His scimitars charged out relentlessly and in perfect harmony, pressing the two gray dwarves back onto their heels. Each arm worked its own opponent, keeping the gray dwarves rooted in place squarely in front of Drizzt. If one of his enemies managed to get around to his side, the drow knew he would be in serious trouble. Each scimitar swipe brought a ring of metal, and each passing second gave Drizzt more understanding of his opponent's abilities and attack strategies. Out in the Underdark, Drizzt had fought blindly many times, once even donning a hood against the basilisk he'd met. Overwhelmed by the sheer speed of the drow's attacks, the Dorgar could only work their swords back and forth and hope that a scimitar didn't slide through. The blades sang and rang as the two Dorgar frantically parried and dodged. Then came a sound that Drizzt had hoped for, the sound of a scimitar digging into flesh. A moment later, one sword clanged to the stone, and its wounded wielder made the fatal mistake of crying out in pain. Drizzt's hunter self rose to the surface at that moment and focused on that cry, and his scimitar shot straight ahead, smashing into the gray dwarf's teeth and on through to the back of its head. The hunter turned on the remaining Dorgar in fury. Around and around his blade spun in swirling circular motions. Around and around, then one shot out in sudden straightforward thrust, too quick for the blocking response. It caught the Dorgar in the shoulder, gashing a deep wound. Give! Give! The gray dwarf cried, not desiring the same fate as its companion. Drizzt heard another sword drop to the floor. Please, Dark Elf! At the Dorgar's words, the drow buried his instinctive urges. I accept your surrender, Drizzt replied, and he moved close to his opponent, putting the tip of his scimitar to the Grey Dwarf's chest. Together they walked out of the area darkened by Drizzt's spell. Searing agony ripped through Clacker's head, every blow sending waves of pain. The hook horror gurgled out an animal's growl and exploded into furious motion, heaving up from the crushed Dorgar and spinning over to its newest foe. A Dorgar club smashed in again, but Clacker was beyond any sensation of pain. A heavy claw bashed through the purple outline, through the invisible Dorgar's skull. The Grey Dwarf came back into view suddenly. The concentration needed to maintain a state of invisibility stolen by death, the greatest thief of all. The remaining Dorgar turned to flee, but the enraged Hookhar moved faster. Clacker caught the Grey Dwarf in a claw and hoisted him into the air. Screeching like a frenzied bird, the Hookhar hurled the unseen opponent into the wall. The Dorgar came back into sight, broken, and crumbled at the base of the stone wall. No opponent stood to face the Hookhar, but Clacker's savage hunger was far from satiated. Drizzt and the wounded Dorgar emerged from the darkness then, and the Hookhar barreled in. With the specter of Belwar's combat taking his attention, Driz did not realize Clacker's intent until the Dorgar prisoner screamed in terror. By then, it was too late. Driz watched his prisoner's head go flying back into the globe of darkness. Clacker! The drow screamed in protest. Then, Driz ducked and dived backward for his own life as the other claw came viciously swinging across. Spotting new prey nearby, the hookar didn't follow the drow into the globe, Belwar and the dagger-wielding Dorgar were too engaged in their own struggles to notice the approaching crazed giant. Clacker bent low, collected the prone combatants in his huge arms, and heaved them both straight up into the air. The Dorgar had the misfortune of coming down first, and Clacker promptly batted it across the chamber. Belwar would have found a similar fate, 
but crossed scimitars intercepted the hookar's next blow. The giant's strength slid Drizzt back several feet, but the parry softened the blow enough for Belwar to fall by. Still, the burrow warden crashed heavily into the floor and spent a long moment two days to react. Clacker! Drizzt cried again as the giant foot came up with the obvious intent of squashing Belwar flat. Needing all his speed and agility, Drizzt dived around to the back of the hookar, dropped to the floor, and went for Clacker's knees, as he had in their first encounter. Trying to stomp on the prones for Fneblin, Clacker was already a bit off balance, and Drizzt easily tripped him to the stone. In the blink of an eye, the drow warrior sprang atop the monster's chest and slipped the scimitar tip between the armored folds of Clacker's neck. Driz dodged a clumsy swing as Clacker continued to struggle. The drow hated what he had to do, but then the hook horror calmed suddenly and looked up at him with sincere understanding. Do it! came the garbled demand. Driz, horrified, glanced over to Belwar for support. Back on his feet, the burrow warden just looked away. Clacker? Drizzt asked the hookar. Are you Clacker once again? The monster hesitated. Then the beaked head nodded slightly. Drizzt sprang away and looked at the carnage in the chamber. Let us leave, he said. Clacker remained prone a moment longer, considering the grim implications of his reprieve. With the battle's conclusion, the Hook Horicide backed out of its full control on Clacker's consciousness. Those savage instincts lurked, Clacker knew, not far from the surface, waiting for another opportunity to find a firm hold. How many times would the faltering Peck side be able to fight those instincts? Clacker slammed the stone, a mighty blow that sent cracks running through the chamber's floor. With great effort, the weary giant climbed to his feet. In his embarrassment, Clacker didn't look at his companions, just stormed away down the tunnel, each banging footstep falling like a hammer on a nail in Driz Duarden's heart. Perhaps you should have finished it, Dark Elf, Belwar suggested, moving beside his drow friend. He saved my life in the Illithid Cavern, Driz retorted sharply, and has been a loyal friend. He tried to kill me and you, the Deep Gnome said grimly. Mega Kamara. I am his friend, Drizzt growled, grabbing the Shrifneblin's shoulder. You ask me to kill him? I ask you to act as his friend, retorted Belwar, and he pulled free of the grasp and started away down the tunnel after Clacker. Driz grabbed the burrow wooden shoulder again and roughly spun him around. It will only get worse, Dark Elf, Belwar said calmly into Driz Grimace. A firmer hold does the wizard's spell gain with every passing day. Clacker will try to kill us again, I fear. And if he succeeds, the realization of the act will destroy him more fully than your blades ever could. I cannot kill him, Drizzt said, and he was no longer angry. Nor can you. Then we must leave him, the Deep Gnome replied. We must let Clacker go free in the Underdark, to live his life as a hook horror. That surely is what he will become, body and spirit. No, said Drizzt. 
We must not leave him. We are his only chance. We must help him. The wizard is dead, Bella reminded him. And the deep gnome turned away and started again after Clacker. There are other wizards, Drizzt replied under his breath, this time making no move to impede the burrow warden. The drow's eyes narrowed and he snapped his scimitars back into their sheaths. Drizzt knew what he must do, what price his friendship with Clacker demanded, but he found the thought too disturbing to accept. There were indeed other wizards in the Underdark, but chance meetings were far from common, and wizards capable of dispelling Clacker's polymorph state would be fewer still. Drizzt knew where such wizards could be found, though. The thought of returning to his homeland haunted Drizzt with every step he and his companions took that day. Having viewed the consequences of his decision to leave Menzberonzen, Drizzt never wanted to see that place again, never wanted to look upon the dark world that so damned him. But if he chose now not to return, Drizzt knew that he would soon witness a more wicked sight than Menzberonzen. He would watch Clacker, a friend who had saved him from certain death, degenerate fully into a hook horror. Belwar had suggested abandoning Clacker, and that course seemed preferable to the battle that Drizzt and the Deepnum surely must fight if they were near Clacker when the degeneration became complete. Even if Clacker were far removed, though, Drizzt knew that he would witness the degeneration. His thoughts would stay on Clacker, the friend he had abandoned, for the rest of his days, just one more pain for the tormented drow. In all the world, Drizzt could think of nothing he desired less than viewing the sights of Menzaboranzan, or conversing with his former people. Given the chance, he would prefer death over returning to the drow city. But the choice was not so simple. It hinged on more than Drizzt's personal desires. He had founded his life on principles, and those principles now demanded loyalty. They demanded that he put Clacker's needs above his own desires, because Clacker had befriended him, and because the concept of true friendship far outweighed personal desires. Later on, when the friends had set camp for a short rest, Belwar noticed that Drizzt was engaged in some inner conflict, leaving Clacker, who once again was tap-tapping at the stone wall, the Shrifneblin moved cautiously by the drow's side. Belwar cocked his head curiously. What are you thinking, dark elf? Drizzt, too caught up in his emotional turbulence, did not return Belwar's gaze. My homeland boasts a school of wizardry. Drizzt replied with steadfast determination. At first, the burrow warden didn't understand what Drizzt hinted at. But then, when Drizzt glanced over to Clacker, Belwar realized the implications of Drizzt's simple statement. Menzabaranzen? The Sverndeblin cried, You would return there, hoping that some dark elf wizard would show mercy upon our peck friend? I would return there because Clacker has no other chance, Drizzt retorted angrily. Then no chance at all Clacker has, Belwar roared. Mega Kamara, dark elf! Menzabaranzen will not be so quick to welcome you! Perhaps your pessimism will prove valid, said Drizzt. Dark elves are not moved by mercy, I agree, but there may be other options. You are hunted, Belwar said. His tone showed that he hoped his simple words would shake some sense into his drow companion. By matron malice, Drizzt retorted, 
Menzabaranzan is a large place, my little friend, and loyalties to my mother will play no part in any encounter we find beyond those with my own family. I assure you that I have no plans to meet anyone from my own family. And what, Dark Elf, might we offer in exchange for dispelling Clacker's curse? Bella replied sarcastically. What have we to offer that any Dark Elf wizard of Menzabaranzan would value? Driz's reply, started with a blurring cut of a scimitar, was heightened by a familiar simmering fire in the drow's lavender eyes, and ended with a simple statement that even stubborn Belwar could not find the words to refute. The wizard's life. <laughs>